Hey, and welcome to Product Journeys. I'm Frank Leisner. And I'm Lachlan Robertson. We're both product owners stumbling our way through our product journey. We're out to meet amazing product people and learn a bit more about their skills and their experience. Come join us today in our conversation with Kevin Ryan. Kevin, also known as Kev, is a product nerd at heart with a passion for the craft. His diverse career of more than 12 years has spanned telco, the trade industry, satcom, SaaS in both construction and HR tech, and now Zero. He's a bit of a generalist, but the bulk of his experience has been focused on software product development. And he sees this as really around bringing humans together to solve problems for other humans. I guess we can jump right in and I'm really interested to hear your background and how you've got to the position you're in at the moment with Zero. Yeah, sure. I, I think my background starts where, where most people in product management very rarely start and, and that was actually in product management. It was the first gig I ever did out of uh, university. I did what every person who not quite sure what they want to do with themselves, do at university, and that was a business degree, and I majored in marketing. I thought that was a pretty good uh, wide net. Funnily enough, I really didn't like accounting, but I thought marketing was a little bit more creative, and I'll see where that takes me. Then I ended up applying one day for a marketing coordinator role and walked into the office and got tapped on the shoulder and said, oh, we're just going to interview you for these two roles we've got going on at the same time. And I was like, oh, okay, one's a marketing coordinator, one's this thing called a product manager. I remember sitting there, the, about the only question I could ask about the product manager role was, what's a product manager? <laughs> and uh, uh, the rest is history. I kind of started by accident my career in product management. That was back in, I would say, consumer telco would be the vibes are a bit more commercially focused product marketing sprinkles of stuff and did that for a little while and enjoyed that and got lucky that I got to work on a few projects of launching new products and a few technology um, integrations and that kind of led me off down a, a different path in my career from the commercial side to more of the, the product in a technology setting if you like and I'd say that's really been the story of my career, dumb luck and accident, and then kind of a bit of reverse engineering things over time. That's taken me from telco to satellite tracking and communications to, to your SaaS businesses and HR tech to construction tech to now zero. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a curious person who likes to learn. And so I think very early on in my career, I kind of made that choice. I didn't want to get pigeonholed as a telco person. And that sparked my career as a generalist, right, where you get to learn lots of different things and expose yourself to different environments. And you always pick up something slightly different, whether it's a different type of business, a completely different industry, just the, the, the subject matter that you're dealing with on, on different walks of life. And then eventually you get to a point in your career where you start to figure out what you do like and you start to engineer the good stuff in, in greater quantities. Love it. I guess it's kind of applying more of a, a product focus to your actual career in a way of small experiments to try stuff out and uh, work out the things that work best. From your university days, did you find your business degree useful and translates to your day-to-day -day as a product manager now? Yes and no. Like directly, no. Indirectly, probably. I would say product is one of those 
quirky careers where it is actually very hard to train for academically. It is so much context driven and you just have to throw yourself into it. It is hard to prepare yourself for prior to just doing it, right? But that said, like there are transferable mindsets and skills that will help you in different shapes and sizes. And the, the thing I always liked about a business degree was it was basically a medley of everything under the sun. You, for, for someone who had no idea really what they wanted to do, the opportunity to do your first year of, of business is a bit of everything. It's all, you know, you do some accounting, you do some law, you do some marketing, you do management theory. By God, I don't ever want to talk about management theory again after that one subject. <laughs> um, I, there is a lot of different opportunities. And so I think that that's that, that understanding of mindset around product, in essence, I find is always, you, you can be very specific in your career, but there's usually a level of generalism that comes with being a product manager that you can't avoid. And that, that business degree was basically your first taste of generalism, where it's like, here's getting the gist of everything and being an expert in none of these things by the time you're done with it. And then you're going to have to choose which ones do you want to double click on. And I think part of developing as a product manager is learning what you need and learning to let go of the stuff that doesn't serve you. You don't have to be an expert in all of the things. If someone on the street or at a family dinner or whatever asks you, what is a product manager? How do you answer that question? A lot of my friends think I'm more of like a Barney Stinson than actually having a job. But I, I would say, you know, ultimately, you're just responsible for the success of a product and, and you go where that takes you. And that, that'll take lots of different shapes and sizes. But really, you spend a lot of time bringing humans together to solve problems for other humans. It's, it's just in that sweet spot of problem solving is really what a product manager does. That's quite broad. If you were asked... A little bit more in depth. Yeah, I guess if I'm talking to someone at a barbecue versus I'm talking to someone that works in a technology setting, they're probably really two different conversations. Um, I, I saw a fellow from Google give the best talk I've ever seen on this topic, and I've just been plagiarizing him everywhere I go since. He called it the uh, the product polygon. Basically, there's sort of five areas that make up product managers' skills and, and focus. One of them is storytelling, uh, which always kind of surprises people. We don't talk about that enough, I don't think. Another is execution, so the details of working with teams and getting stuff done. Another is leadership, you know, which we again is a really important aspect of the soft skills of what it takes, you know, leading at every level, whether it's across the organization or within a team. That's a big part of where being a product manager is. Domain knowledge, I think, is another really important one, and particularly in zero, you can see that play out in lots of different shapes and sizes. And you know whether that's knowledge of the industry or you know, the, the domain in which we operate. So that could be an example of you know, accounting can be quite complex, and in certain areas of zero, if you work in the tax team, then your domain knowledge of accounting needs to be much higher, right, than than certain different areas. And so it's sort of having those conversations of what does domain knowledge mean in this particular context. Um, I can always, I never get all five. I can always get to four. Storytelling, domain knowledge, execution, leadership. No, that's going to kill me. Now I have to. (laughs) I really like it though. It's one of my favorites. Oh, geez. How did I miss that one? Strategy. (laughs) 
Of course. <laughs> of course. It's strategy. Like those are sort of like the the, the five tips of it, and that manifests in lots of different ways. But usually, I'll I'll have a conversation with with people that I work with around this is how I see the the balance of this role in this particular one, whether that's at a different level or whether that's, as I said, different domain context where the nature of this role requires certain energy. And I think trying to set that expectation that no one's great across all of these types of dimensions, but those are five, I think, very universally transferable dimensions that wherever I've worked, I could probably explain it across those five dimensions. Um, and I think that's where we, we tend to overcomplicate stuff a lot in product and technology. And I, I think when when you're talking about something that is quite opaque, you, you need to be a bit more general and then layer in the specificity when necessary. And if we can all talk a common language that helps us navigate such a wide and um, wonderful topic like what is a product manager, I think you need to distill it down into some fundamentals. And I think those are the best fundamentals I've found so far in my travels. I like that. To I guess double click on the storytelling one, which was the one you led with. You, you mentioned perhaps sometimes is underfocused on, or that is something that perhaps as a product manager we could build more of. Could you expand a bit more about that and sort of where that might be useful or how you see it? Better yeah, sure. absolutely. I think it's the the one that if I were to say that to people every time people would go, ah, oh yeah, and kind of, you know, look at you sideways and nod and go, now that you mention it, but it wasn't, wouldn't have been on the on the top of my, my lexicon, if you like. Um, why I think it's so important, for one, it, it's not enough to be right. You have to be convincing. And, and that's sort of the, the, the nature of the craft, right? We need to be able to translate context across different Zoom levels. And, and product is one of those roles that sits in between a lot of things and can I take context and can I translate the story of the business and what it's trying to achieve in a way that my team can understand it, break down their work, align, feel motivated, you know, deliver success against that vision, if you like, is is one way. The other way is super critical to success and being able to translate your context to people that aren't in the level of detail that you're in. And this is where I see a lot of things fall over, particularly at big companies where there's lots of people making decisions with their context that if they knew the detail that you know, they might make a different decision, but they don't have it. And, the, you, and it's the, how do you package it in a way that other audiences can consume the important information that you have, whether it's trying to translate you know, different risks that they should be factoring into the decisions, whether that's that old chestnut of priorities. You know? How do you make sure that people understand the relative importance of the work that you're trying to do versus what they care about? Because that's what they have to weigh it up against. If we want to talk about that, particularly that first step in your product career from going from a product owner where you're embedded within your team, you're, you're living in the detail that you're in every day, you're not spending a lot of time having to translate that detail out. And that's the muscle that is actually you need to build to set you up for success in that next level in your career where you spend a lot more time doing that. What got you to where you are in product isn't what gets you to where you, you usually need to go next. And so a lot of the time uh, you find this conundrum where we focus on being the best product owner we can be and, you know, and wanting to master that, which is great. Like, oh, always be hustling and trying to master the craft, right? But do we sit there and go, hang on a minute, these things that I'm trying to perfect, if I want to go further in my career, are they the things that will help me? 
And a lot of the time, the catch with product is that the more you progress in your product career, the more you actually have to let go of certain things and dial up other things. And those things aren't necessarily just hanging around for you to lean into, right? You actually have to deliberately say, I need to expose myself to opportunities to practice these skills and, and prepare myself for, for what lies ahead in, in that next shift, if you like. And I find storytelling is very commonly one of those things that holds people back because that's one of the biggest differences as you progress in your career is the demand on your level of storytelling gets higher and higher. That's a really great explanation. I guess one of my the questions that comes to mind with that is the importance of data when it comes to telling a story. Do you find that falls into that storytelling or should be used as part of that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that that's, should be the basis of you know, a rigorous story. Like there's... Mm. Um, it it kind of goes both ways. It's not enough to to be right. You have to be convincing, and it can be just as dangerous being convincing but not being right. <laughs> and believe me, I've seen some of that in my travels. Um, in terms of using data to tell a compelling story, that's a big part of how do you create cut through. When I say things like being great at storytelling, I think people naturally gravitate to something like being a great public speaker, but it, it's really just about core narrative. And it's how do you tell a story is not necessarily about how much pizzazz you have in the delivery of a story, right? Like there's lots of different um, ways to tell a convincing story. And usually using a novel or, or unique context, like here is the framing of a situation, or here is the, the representation of a fact that you didn't know or a compelling um, stat about this problem that may actually lift your perception of it and data can really help you go oh snap if you've crafted it in a in a good way it doesn't really matter it speaks for itself you can play a 30 second interview that's compelling and it goes oh wow i, I did never thought about it like that mm. you can go hey cool by the way this really compelling thing that represents x number of customers every day feel this and you go oh and then you know the issue job is just sequencing and structuring of information can be impactful storytelling doesn't need to be uh, yeah, a great public speaking because I'm, I'm not a great public <laughs> speaker either. I hate public speaking, but I, I recognize the necessity of it for, for what, the, what we do. That's great. And what opportunities have you had that have really helped you develop your storytelling? I would say at some point there's a, a recognition that I need to lean into it. I think that once that penny drops, if you don't love public speaking by default, which not many people do, at some point you realize, well, for me to go where I want to go in my career, I have to make myself uncomfortable. And, and first and foremost, you, you have to acknowledge that you're going to be uncomfortable and seek out that discomfort at, at any opportunity. I would say hackathons are, are a really great example of opportunities to, to lean into that in a safe environment where everyone's, you know, trying to hustle and pitch ideas and it's scrappy and it's fun and it's not as scary as like a, you know, an executive meeting or whatever. <laughs> yep. um, I think those are a great training ground to practice your storytelling. Every day is an opportunity, um, little moments here and there. If you think about a product owner and what they're off doing, we've gone off and we've, we've done some discovery, we've learned some things. Hey, I'm going to carve out 10 minutes of our stand-up and I'm going to play this back to the team and see if I can land the story of what we discovered. I guess building off that, like one of the things that's coming to mind is is how do you know it's working? 
if a story is actually resonating or landing. Yeah, well, I guess it comes back to why are you telling the story in the first place? We're not generally telling stories for the sake of telling stories. We're usually trying to affect some level of change, right? If you love a good framework, which I usually do, I would say being deliberate about how you tell a story is usually a good place to start. One of them is the simple ones is think, feel, do. And that one I find quite useful. What do I want people to think as a result of hearing this? Um, how do I want them to feel as a result of, of hearing this information? And what do I want them to do? And if you can jot down those three things, do you think those people have changed how they think, feel, or what they've done as a result? And, and that would be my simplest way to, to be yeah, your guide on that. That's a great answer. Awesome. Yeah, I, um, <clears throat> I've noticed that storytelling is something I want to improve. And I've tried a little bit. And, and I find if somebody says back to you a week or two later what you were trying to tell them, that's also really nice. And you're like, hey, I feel like yeah, you've got yeah. that. Did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Parroting, highest form of uh, flattery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are my words. You have already touched on this, but what is one product tool or framework that you always carry with you in your toolbox, no matter what project or product you're working on? Yeah, I'm going to cheat on this topic. I, I think first principles thinking is, is kind of the, the thing that goes with you no matter what you're doing in, in your product life. Um, and getting to the core of things is is what we do and make sure we're solving the right things in the first place before we go about are we solving them in the right ways and there are a couple of different tools that i find are good ways to keep you in sync with the essence of first principle thinkings one is the five whys so just root cause analysis and it's an oldie but a goodie but it's super effective and it makes you stop and think am i asking the right question at the right time at the right zoom level which i, I think is ultimately the art of product management um, jumping off into the solution side of the diamond is one of the the easiest pitfalls it fall into right do we really understand the problem before we've jumped into solving it yeah cool another one i would say is logic trees so that's once you're breaking stuff down being able to follow your thinking in a coherent structure. One of my favorites is the the opportunity solution tree. If you're a Teresa Torres fan, which to me is in essence is just a, a logic tree. It's great for navigating complex situations with lots of possible paths forward. And last but not least, Kagan's four big risks. If you're a Marty Kagan fan, thinking about your, what assumptions are we making across value? What assumptions are we making about usability? feasibility and business risk. And if you can stop and start to think what questions are important, what are the riskiest assumptions that we're making, what risks lie in these quadrants and trying to make sure you're spending your energy on the big scary ones. I like that. Yeah. Perhaps either using those toolkits or just in general, what are some of the biggest things that you've learned throughout your journeys a product person today? mistakes or just general lessons that have have come up i think one of them is just the the pitfalls of process i'm a bit of an anti-process person and some people love process but as i talk about these frameworks right they're there to serve you they're there to help and sometimes i think we can fall into the opposite trap where we end up serving the framework not the other way around as intended and that we get a little bit too prescribed in the way that we want to approach a problem and we try and follow the script. And, and I'll always say that there's, there's no, no substitute for your judgment and decision making. 
and that no framework is going to solve every problem for you and is not going to stop you from having to make decisions. Sometimes the best thing to do in product management is to keep it simple. <laughs> and that, you know, okay, what's the, what's the gist of this framework and cherry pick the bits that serve you and don't feel like you have to overbake every situation. It's 100%. I'm sure you get a lot of people who <laughs> kind of butt heads about that, you know, process-driven people. For example, Zero moving from a startup mode to a bigger company. How do you see process playing more of a role in that? Because I, f- I feel like startups, it's a lot more fluid. And then when you get to a, a company with a lot of people, you actually need some processes, but it's maybe working out which ones is there a disclaimer for like career limiting comments? No, I, I'll challenge that a little bit and say that the environment in which I created the most process in my life was actually at a startup <laughs> True. and that I was trying to create a process that not just the product person could follow, that the whole business could contribute to. And so I was trying to create a bit of a product meritocracy, if you like, where the, that the idea and the merit could be contributed to by, by anyone in that in doing so, I just created a bureaucratic process that slowed all decision-making down. <laughs> and so I guess that kind of leads into where I draw my inspiration from on the way that I answer this question. And that's, um, I don't think process scales. That's the simple answer, but principles do. That's what I like about how we've approached this at Zero is that we've started with the principles and we've gotten clear on what does good look and feel like. And then we can have conversations about how does How does that play out in context? So it's not that process is bad. It's just that process can be prescriptive. And again, if we we think about what job are these tools here to do for us? Well, if they're here to provide us with consistency and clarity, where are we happy to be fuzzy and different and blurry? And what are the things that we don't compromise on? If we agree that we'll explore and use consistent language so that when we talk about things, we understand what we're trying to do and that when we play it out in our context, we have the freedom to say, hey, we need to adapt this because of X, Y, and Z. That's all right. And I think that's the, the, the it's the intentional divergence from, from the status quo, right? That's the, the happy path. This stuff is hard and doing it at scale really hard, but I'm pretty confident in Zero's um, ability to navigate these types of questions in that holding that center point of this is here to help you. It's not here to smother you or to dictate how you should do everything. I really like what you say, that principle driving makes a lot more sense to me as well. So then going back to the skills, you've talked a little bit about them, but what do you think is a key skill or skills for a PO or a PM actually? Uh, I've already touched on storytelling, (laughs) so maybe I can pick something else. I think storytelling is you know, ubiquitous and as a PO to PM, that's probably the biggest gap I see that will be a, a real enabler. If we talk about maybe strategies, uh, I think one that's kind of understood as a thing that PMs kind of have responsibility for, but what does that look like? What shape does that take is probably not something um, we, we double click on much. We kind of just skim over that and go, yes, of course. What is a strategy? That's another perler in and of itself. We have a corporate strategy, right? And that has some level of detail in it that has some guiding principles of where the company wants to invest its time and energy. But the distance between that level of statement and what a team does 
on a day-to-day, there's usually quite a bit of air cover between those levels of granularity. And, you know, I've worked at environments where there wasn't that much air cover. And trust me, that's a whole other conversation in of itself. But ultimately, for a product person, your strategy is going to exist in the gap between what is your team doing and what is the company's level of resolution on the strategy. And how do those things meet is really what I would consider the, the fundamental role of what product strategy is. How do you do that? Well, again, that's a really interesting one. Really, this is the how do you step out of the detail and start to to read context and information that that others might not see, right? It's how do you connect dots within the organization? Um, how do you create the time and space to think about the long-term vision and where we're trying to go? And I see lots of visions and I see lots of aspirational flags planted on lots of hills, which don't get me long. I'd love. And like in the absence of that, you're just spinning your wheels, right? You've got to know where you're trying to get to. But more often than not, we kind of leave it there and it's not tangible yet. And it's the, how do we break that down into the choices we're going to make or the steps that we might take towards that vision is really where I think the core of product strategy lives um, at its heart. There's a really great book. I'm probably stealing one of your other questions, but I'll I'll throw another one at you later. It's a book that I, I love. It's called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. And I think it's quintessential reading for just any business person, but definitely a, a product person in general. But that breaks strategy down into three components. One is the, the diagnosis of the, the current situation. You've got the guiding policy. So like what choices will we make? What sort of principles of what good looks like, bad looks like? And a coherent set of actions. So what are the actual tangible steps that we want to make towards realizing those? And I, I think those three things are you could just basically say that's product strategy, right? Yeah, cool. Perfect answer. And, and it's great to hear that recommendation come up again. A number of people have, have told me about that book. So It was my sure. lockdown workbook. Um, oh, really? It's awesome. I love how simple it is. It's just it's just really nice because strategy can be so complex. So yeah. I like that about it. Nice. Last big question before we get into our rapid fire ones. For you and your career today, what would you say has been your biggest accomplishment or the thing that you're most proud of? The thing that I'm most proud of, probably the teams that I've built. I think at some point in your career, you start thinking about that progression of what you know got you there doesn't get you to the next place. And at some point, it becomes about the problem of solving problems. How do you really bring together and get that culture of a team set from the word go and the, the bit where... There's this really uncomfortable phase of your product career where you start to transition off of being an active problem solver and you become more of a coach of problem solvers. The most rewarding thing I've done in my career is to start with a blank piece of paper, then have a bunch of people come together and start figuring out how to solve this problem. And then you start to sit there and be more of a coach and you just ask annoying questions every once in a while, seeing them really take it and become, you know, more autonomous over time and build their own culture and find their own way through problems. That's been the most rewarding thing for me is to see those groups of people thrive. Well, I'll I'll move on to the rapid fire questions. What book or article would you recommend? I'd recommend a book called Thinking in Bets uh, by Annie Duke. Um, It's essentially a a book told by an ex-poker pro. That's kind of the the tagline from that book is making smarter decisions when you don't have all the facts. And I think that's a really interesting 
um, read for a product manager. There's a lot of great stuff, particularly about biases and decision making that I think is uh, very relevant. I highly recommend it. Uh, podcasts. Do you have a favorite podcast that you'd recommend? And I'm already listening. Me, I'd say not everything should be work. So I'd go with Poetry Unbound if you, if you like uh, something a little bit different. That's one of my favorites at the moment. Awesome. Very cool. And what are you most grateful for at the moment? At the moment, I'm grateful for being able to actually go into the office and see people. <laughs> After a couple of long years of COVID, I got to go into Melbourne HQ for the first time last week, and it was just really nice to to bump into people and go out for lunch and yeah, not talk about work and just talk crap for a minute. <laughs> nice. I love that. Um, is there any other things you'd want to share or any takeaways or calls to action, I guess, that you'd have for, for people listening? I think I would just remind everyone that it's just work. Um, it, it's something that you do. It's it's not who you are. I think that's a tale of, of my career. It took me a long time to come to that epiphany, much longer than it probably should have. And uh, yeah, it's not your identity. Being successful at work isn't being successful as a human. And I find the the more that you learn how to separate those two things, the less wound up in work you tend to get. And by virtue, the more successful you become because you become more objective. Keep hustling, but don't take it too seriously. That's very sage advice. Awesome. I suppose with working from home, that kind of consumes you. So it's a really good thing to remember. Um, Well, thank you so much for your time, Kevin. It was a really enjoyable interview and lots of great tips that I'm definitely going to take away for sure. My pleasure. Great chatting with you both. Hey, everyone. I just want to say thank you again for listening. Thanks to Kev for another great episode. It's a pleasure being able to talk to all these interesting people. And yeah, stay tuned for our next episode, which is coming out in a couple of weeks' time. Again, if you have any feedback, please let us know. We want to make sure that this is interesting for you and digestible. So any tips and tricks would be helpful. Cheers.